ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد النواس بن سمعان رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال ضرب الله مثلا صراط مستقيما وعلى جنبتيه وعلى جنبتي الصراط سوران فيهما أبواب مفتحة وعلى الأبواب سطور مرخاء وعلى باب الصراط داع يقول أيها الناس ادخلوا الصراط جميعا ولا تعوجوا أو قال ولا تعوجوا وداع يدعو من جوف الصراط فإذا أراد أن يفتح شيئا من تلك الأبواب قال ويحك لا تفتحه فإنك إن تفتحه تلجه والصراط الإسلام والصوران حدود الله والأبواب المفتحة محارم الله وذلك الداعي على رأس الصراط كتاب الله عز وجل والداعي من فوق واعظ الله من قلب كل مسلم وهذا لفظ الإمام أحمد وعند رواة الترمذي زيادة قال قال عليه الصلاة والسلام والله يدعو إلى دار السلام ويهدي من يشاء إلى صراط مستقيم الآية هذا الحديث أخرجه الإمام أحمد والنسائي والترمذي وحسنه الترمذي وخرجه الحاكم وقال صحيح على شرط مسلم لا أعلم له علا so respected brothers and sisters, inshallah, <coughs> we'll be continuing from where we left off uh, last week, reading some of these very, very beneficial, very uh, inspiring, uh, and very uh, uh, beneficial hadith that are being commented on by Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali. Uh, and this is another article, another risala, another uh, treatise that he wrote, specifically on this one hadith, wherein the Prophet ﷺ, just like last week, he gives a parable to the people uh, so that we can gain a clearer picture. The idea of these stories and these parables and these lessons that are mentioned in the Quran and that are mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ, this isn't just like storytelling, right? Uh, you have, I remember one time, um, there was uh, a, you know, a Christian who had asked me for a Quran. He wanted to read the Quran in English. He was, he was curious. So then he asked me, like, where am I going to find all the stories, right? Like, where can I just go? I just want to read the stories. I just like go straight to the, you know, I know in the Bible I can open up Genesis and I'll find all the stories, one after the other. He's like, where can I just go straight to the stories? So I told him, like, you know, the, the purpose of the Quran, and even for that matter, the purpose of when the Prophet ﷺ mentions stories or parables or examples, the purpose is in storytelling, right? It's not like a you know, a book of stories that just to entertain and, and, and pass the time. Rather, every single one of these stories, there's a lesson behind it. And the story is being mentioned for the purpose of the lesson, not for any other reason. A lot of times when children, for example, are being told stories, or even sometimes adults want to listen to a story, the purpose of the story is the story, is to be entertained. You know, you have all these, some of these famous historical poets who are like, uh, who used to wrote, write these like epic poems, they would usually write basically to entertain the people and whatever lessons there were, the lessons were like kind of by the way, right? Even if like people like go and watch like a Disney movie, these, actually I don't know about these days, but once upon a time at least, right? If someone wanted to watch a Disney movie, the people used to go to watch the movie and then maybe the, they would get like a lesson on the side. Understand that the Quran, when the stories are being mentioned, or the Prophet ﷺ, he's mentioning a story, or a parable is being given, the purpose is not the, is not the entertainment. The purpose is not the, to, to, to keep people entertained. The purpose is the lesson. And the fact that people may be enjoyed on a, a, is just a side benefit. Rather, if anything, these parables, it just helps people understand the lesson a little deeper. Which is why you will find many places in the Quran, when a story is being mentioned, a lot of details are left out. Because the details are irrelevant to the story itself. Right? In Surah Yasin, we, you read the, in the beginning of Surah Yasin, it talks about the man that came running from the furthest corner of the city to warn his people. Right? The, the beginning of the Surah Yasin is a very captivating, captivating beginning. It's a story that's very powerful in the beginning. And the entire story is being mentioned and the person's name is not mentioned. We know the person's name because later on, the Prophet ﷺ, outside of the Qur'an, in a, he mentions in a hadith the name of that person, Habib al-Najjar. But in the Qur'an itself, it doesn't mention his story. In the story of Musa and Khidr, the very famous story that's mentioned in the Quran, again, the name of Khidr is not even mentioned in the entire story. The point being is many a time, these details are left out because the details weren't even the purpose in the first place. 
I won't say that's why, but it's one reason why it's not maybe there. It's because the details, really there's not a, the, there's not a need for it. So it's been left out. So when we hear these parables, when we hear these stories, you know, and we go through them, sometimes we might read a hadith and the Prophet is telling a lengthy story of something that happened to Bani Israel or some other parable or some other example. We should always immediately focus our attention to what's the purpose, what is the lesson that he's trying to get us to understand. Because there's a lesson to be taken. So just like last week, the Prophet ﷺ gave a very vivid example, a very vivid parable to help us understand uh, two very destructive forces in the dunya. Here the Prophet ﷺ is giving a parable to help us understand the reality of this path of deen. So, Nawaz bin Sam'an narrates that the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strikes an example of the straight path. Allah gives the example of the straight path. Meaning, many a time in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's many ayat where Allah refers to Siratul Mustaqim. Right? Most notable and probably the most, uh, uh, you know, in our face example is every single salat and every single rakat, we're reading Surah Fatiha and we're reciting Ihdina Siratul Mustaqim. Oh Allah, guide us on this straight path. So Siratul Mustaqim is something that's mentioned numerous times in the in times in the Quran and, and numerous times is it being referred to and it's important for us to understand what is this straight path being re, being uh, referred to what is the reality of it so the prophet sallallahu explains that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the example of the straight path and then the prophet sallallahu begins explaining it he says upon the two sides of this path are two walls two enclosures on the two sides of the path are two walls and in between them, there are many open doors. You have, a, you have this path. On either side, are, there are two walls. And dispersed throughout those walls are open doors. And upon those doors are hanging curtains, hanging veils. And upon the front of and in, in the very front of this path, in the very entrance of this path, there is a caller who's calling out, O mankind, enter this path collectively and do not divert, diverge from it. Enter onto this path collectively and do not diverge from it. Remember this path, there's a lot of open doors. There's walls, but there's open doors. So enter upon this path and don't go off. Stay on the path. And there's another caller who's calling from the very heart of the path. And in some narrations it mentions on top of the path. And anytime the person intends to open up the door, remember the doors are opened, but there's only a thin veil that are covering those doors. Anytime a person intends to open any of these doors, the caller in the middle calls out, that woe on you, don't open that door. When you say it's open, but it's closed, what does it mean? It's open in the sense like that door is open, but imagine if there's a curtain hanging in front of it. There's a difference between a door being shut and a door being locked and a door being open, but a, a curtain is just between you and that door. Meaning it's very easy to pass through. The key thing, we'll talk about this later on, inshallah. But the key thing is, it's very easy to pass, to, pass through, but technically speaking, there is something that separates us from it. So every time the person intends to go through that door, there's a, the caller in the middle calls out, don't open that door. Because if you should open it, then you'll definitely enter into it. Then the Prophet ﷺ explains each part of this parable. Each part of this, this, this uh, metaphor. And he says, this path, the path itself is Islam. And the two walls are the boundaries of Allah. They are the guidelines of Allah. They are the Rules and regulations that Allah has set forth. And the open doors, they are the prohibitions of Allah. And the caller that is calling at the very head of the path, in the beginning of the path, that is the book of Allah. The caller that is calling in the beginning, what is the caller saying? That all of you come on this path together and do not diverge from it. That is the Quran. And the caller that is calling from on top or from the middle, that is the admonition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that comes in the heart of every Muslim. Meaning our conscious. Right? 
that feeling that we get, that conscious when it wakes up and you know, you know, tells us you shouldn't be doing this. This is being mentioned. In, an, in the narration of Tirmidhi, an addition is then mentioned that the ayah is quoted. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Wallahu yad'u ila daris salam wa yahdi man yasha'u ila siratun mustaqim. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that calls people to the life of the hereafter, to the abode of peace. Darus salam refers to the hereafter because that's where the true peace lies. Any peace in this world is temporary. That's true peace. Allah is calling to the abode of everlasting peace. And He shall guide to the straight path whomever He wills. This hadith that the Prophet gives this example in, it's a very, very you know, powerful example that a person does many things to reflect on. And especially when you take into consideration each of these things that are being referred to on this, in this parable, each of them has a long explanation in itself. There's many ayat, many hadith that tie into each one, which is why he chose this hadith to, uh, to comment on. So this path, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls deen many a time in the Qur'an, Sirat al-Mustaqim. We already mentioned that. Not the least of which is in Surah Fatiha. The Allah teaches us, to, Allah actually teaches us, rather if you want to look at it in this sense, Allah requires us in every single salat to ask for this, that, O oh Allah, guide us on the straight path. So we ask Allah this over and over and over again. And the small nuanced differences and sometimes what this you know, straight path is referring to in the Qur'an. Very, very often it's referring to the path of Islam itself. Very often it's referring to the book of Allah itself. One way or the other, it's referring to roughly the same thing. Following the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, treading this path of Islam. There's another hadith very similar to this. A few other hadith, I'll, I'll quote one of them. That's narrated by Imam Ahmad and Imam Nasa'i. As well as Hakim In the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud That one day the Prophet ﷺ, He drew a line he, was, he drew a line With his hand He drew a line with his hand Meaning he, he gestured Or he perhaps did it with something on the grounds Or something like that And then he says this is the straight path He gives a gesture He draws a line with his hand And then he says this is the straight path And then he draws lines to the right of it And to the left of it and then he says, these are the paths, these other paths, every single one of them has a shaitan that is calling towards them. Meaning, this is, I don't know the exact gesture the Prophet ﷺ made, but imagine he made a gesture of a straight path, right? And then he made gestures of lines going to the right and left of it. And he explains that line, that main line, that is the straight path. And the lines that are diverging from it to the side, these, each of these paths has a shaitan that is calling towards each one. Meaning, as we go through life, every single thing, every single divergent path, is not just some random thing that, you know what, out of curiosity, you're going to go down that road. No, we're actually being given da'wah, day in, day out, to go on those divergent paths. This is very important to understand and very important to remind ourselves. Why? Is because we should realize that it's not just like there's opportunities out there. I'm good if I don't go and pursue them. No. There's opportunities out there that are very open, that are very accessible, and we're constantly being called towards them. Shaitan, right, what is his influence upon mankind? It's marketing. Shaitan knows how to market things like crazy, right? That's all he can do. Shaitan can't actually make someone do something. All he can do is call people to it. He can make it look attractive. He can call people towards it. So every single divergent path, meaning every single th path where a person can go off, there's someone or something that is in this place calling people away from, from Allah, calling people towards that divergent path. Ibn Razab explains, this path, look, the main path is that big path. And these other paths, they're very small, they're very narrow, right? I mean, just imagine the analogy of any roadway system that we know of, right? You have, for example, the major freeways, right? You have the interstate freeways that we know, Highway 80 and Highway 5, and you have these like large freeways, right? Sometimes they become five, seven, even ten lanes. And then each freeway, they have exits. The exits are never as broad and as wide as the freeways. You can't go as fast. 
Right? You can't go from like, you know, driving 70 on the freeway and then take an exit and keep driving 70. You automatically, very often the road forces you to drop down to 50, drop down to 45, drop down to 35, drop down to 25. They become narrow. Ibn Rajab explains, the, the, when, what is the meaning? Why is the, the Sirat al-Mustaqim called Sirat al-Mustaqim? Why is it called a Sirat? He says, because a Sirat, it is a very wide and easy, you know, thoroughfare. It's a very wide and easy path. It's a path that's easy to traverse. It's like that, you know, five, ten lane super freeway. Right? It's very easy to go down. He says, anyone that goes down that path, they will get to their destination. It's a, it's, there's, there's no confusion in it. It's straightforward. Anyone that goes down it will get to their destination. Unlike the other paths. Because the other paths, they start becoming narrower and narrower and narrower. We start with the other paths of deen, the other adyan, the other faiths. Ultimately, those faiths are not going to be as easy as Islam. Why? It's because one is haq, the other is not haq. Now granted, one is truth and the other ones are not truth. Now granted, some of them might have once upon a time come from people that were calling for truth, but people later on came and perverted them. They no longer are on the same path. So what's happened? They've become complicated. They've become, you know, muddled. And therefore, the easygoing nature of Islam, they don't have it. What we don't realize, sometimes we take for granted is, if a person were to just traverse the path of Islam wholeheartedly. See, what we like to do, unfortunately, sometimes, I don't say we like to do, but we end up doing, is we travel, we travel the path of Islam one foot in, one foot out. It's like driving on the shoulder. Right? When you're driving on the shoulder and you hear that noise, you know, like on highway, some freeways have it now, freeways have it, right? You're driving on, on Highway 5, and if you get a little too close to the shoulder, it makes that like really, really annoying sound. I think it's supposed to like wake drivers up in case they don't like fly off the road, right? Like, if you drive on the shoulder, you're not going to have a smooth ride. You're missing the whole point of driving on the freeway. That's why Allah says in the Quran, Ya yuladin amrud khulu fi silmi kafa, wa la tattabi'u khutuwati shaitan. He said, Oh, you who believe, Enter into Islam wholeheartedly. Enter into Islam in totality. And don't follow the promptings of shaitan. The footsteps of shaitan. What does this mean? I mean, if we don't come into it wholeheartedly, why are we not doing it? Because shaitan told us to. Shaitan convinced us. We won't say like we like listen to him. Nobody does it intentionally. But he, he gave us, he whispered in our minds, in our hearts, either through his whisperings or through the people we surround ourselves with, he convinced us not to come onto the path wholeheartedly and we did that. And he, Allah explains, إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوُّ Shaitan's your open and manifest enemy. Why are you listening to him? Allah is telling us, enter into Islam in totality. Otherwise, what is it? You might be on the freeway, but you're driving on the shoulder. That's why you're not having the comfortable ride you were hoping you were going to have. When people come into Islam wholeheartedly, what happens? Meaning they tread this path in the way it's meant to be tread. All these questions, all these doubts, all these misgivings, all these things that make people hesitate in their faith, one by one, step by step, they all start disappearing. I remember when I first started coming around to these gatherings of like, of, of, of ilm and, and dhikr, I used to attend, uh, uh, this is when I was in college, right? I used to attend and I, I would show up with, like a, uh, with a, list, like a list of questions. You know, I mean, it happens, right? You, you, you know, the people, especially at that age, you know, in their, you know, 19, 20 years old, you're in college, you get a lot of questions. It's natural. So, you know, I, would, I remember I would come to the gatherings, Sheikh Dimi would have a gathering at Lowry Mashid in those days. And at the end of the program, I would just come with my list of questions. Right? I would always have my list of questions. It was, sometimes, I mean, there wasn't always a list. Sometimes it was like one question or two questions. I would also like realize if, the, if one question took like half an hour, I'm not going to ask like three more follow-up questions. I'll ask next week. Right? But, but the point being is I would always have questions I would ask. And then I remember one day, after a long time, I'd been coming for like, you know, a, a very long time. I don't remember exactly how long. I remember the program ended and he like, he just, Sheikh Tamim turned to me and he's like, you have any questions? Because usually the standard protocol was, you know, things would end and I would have a question, right? So he turned to me and he caught me off guard because I didn't have a question that day. And he says, this is the benefit of coming to gatherings of knowledge. Coming to gatherings of remembrance, eventually all your questions go away. One by one, eventually all your questions go away. Go away. Come to the gatherings of dhikr, your questions will disappear. Allah says in the Quran, "Fasalu ahl dhikr in kuntum la ta'alamun." Ask the people of remembrance, right? If you do not know, ask the people of who know if you do not know. So, 
when people are on the path of deen, and they're pursuing it the way it's meant to be pursued, right? Doing what they need to do. It becomes very easy. Right? Part of that is seeking knowledge. Seeking knowledge is obligatory upon every Muslim man and woman. Why? Because it comes under the hadith, hadith of, I think, Abu Dawood. Right? Uh, that, uh, that whoever treads a path by which he's seeking knowledge, Allah will make easy for them the path to paradise. So, yes, seeking knowledge is obligatory. One of the benefits of it is it makes the path of Jannah easy. So, when we talk about treading the path of deen, treading the path of deen holistically, not only also then asking questions, but then doing and following through with action. Right? Not just I learned all the theoretical stuff of, of salat, but then I can't wake up for fajr. Right? No. Not only learning it, but then doing it. The path of deen becomes very easy. Why? This is haq. This is revealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the solution to all the problems of, of, of the world. This is the solution to everything. And every problem is because of people going away from Allah's solutions. So when people are on this path of deen, of course it's going to become easy because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has facilitated for us the best way to live a wholesome life. Allah says in the Quran, مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مِنْ ذَكَرٍ وَأُنْثَى وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَلَنُحْيِيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِّبًا وَلَنَجْزِيَنَّهُ أَحْسَنَ الَّذِي كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ وَلَنَجْزِيَنَّهُ أَحْسَنَ الَّذِي كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ That whoever does good, whoever does righteous deeds, man or woman, and they believe, then we guarantee them, we guarantee them a wholesome life. This is a guarantee from Allah for those who do believe and do right. Allah gives a guarantee. فَلَنُحْيَنَّهُ Islam تَأْكِيدٌ بِنُونَ تَأْكِيدٌ ثَقِيلَةٌ Right? There's two levels of emphasis here. It's a guarantee from Allah. Allah guarantees a wholesome life. And Allah guarantees that they will be rewarded with the best of their deeds in the hereafter. So how can it not be a person? Yes, this, this is. The path of deen is like that multi-lane freeway. And every other path, because it's ultimately divergent from this path. Right? It might be a path that leads you to, you know, you're going on the freeway 70 miles an hour. It might be a path that takes you down to 45. It might be a path that takes you down to 35. It might be a path that takes you down to 25. But no matter what, the other paths, they're narrow and they will force you to slow down. But more importantly than that, none of those paths will lead to your destination. There's only one path that leads to Allah and all other paths lead you someplace else. Ibn Rajab explains this ayah with another ayah. He says, Allah says in the Quran, وَعَلَى اللَّهِ قَسْتُ السَّبِيلِ وَمِنْهَا جَائِرُ وَلَوْ شَاءَ لَهَدَاكُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ Allah says that upon Allah is, is showing the people the right path. The straight path. The straight path that leads to the destination it needs to lead to. And, and many other paths diverge away from that path. And if Allah wanted, He could have guided all of mankind. But ultimately people we chose, many people they chose not to remain on the path that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has illuminated for us. Rather they've cho chosen to go down the paths that have been darkened by other people. So when a person goes on these divergent paths, now when many people ask, what will we see with some people, they're not on the path of Islam. If the Rajab goes into this discussion, that you find people that are not on the path of Islam, but they're doing good things. Maybe they haven't dropped from 70 to like, you know, all the way down to 25. But they've definitely slowed down a bit. And they've definitely gone away from the path that leads to Allah. We sometimes forget that the path to Allah is a path that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us of. This is not a path that and nobody else has a say in this matter. Allah says in the Quran, that the messenger believes in what his Lord revealed to him, and so too do the believers. Meaning the messenger of Allah وسلم, he didn't have a choice in this matter. The prophets didn't decide for themselves what is Islam, what is not Islam. This is my Islam and this is your Islam. No, Allah decides how we submit to Allah. Allah decides how we submit to Allah. Because if we decided, it wouldn't have been submission in the first place. We have to realize when Allah tells us and dictates to us what is the path, then anything outside of that is not the path that Allah has dictated. And from the parable that the Prophet ﷺ gave, we understand that if it diverges from that path 5 degrees, or if it diverges from that path 90 degrees, 
one way or the other, we are diverting from that path by the calling of some shaitan. There was some shaitan that called us away, that caused us to deviate from that straight path, and now we're heading down a path that is not going towards our destination. And it doesn't need to be 100%. Shaitan knows. Some, I, you, know, you know like for example, if a person is, is trying to like hit their target, all you got to do is shoot straight. All it takes to get a person to miss their target, like you know if a person is trying to shoot a bow and arrow, you don't have to like punch the person in the face to make them miss their target. You can just tap their elbow and they'll miss their target. When a person's about to fire, what do you need to do to make him miss? You don't need to like hit him with a baseball bat. All it takes is just tap him a little bit and the person will miss their mark. Because if a person is aiming straight and can hit straight, they're not going to miss. All it takes is just a little bit of deviation. Many a time, the way that shaitan comes at people is through this little bit of deviation. He doesn't try, he, doesn't, he knows, if I got him a little bit, that's all I need to do. So he explains, there's only, the one path is the wide path. It's the easy path. And the other paths, no matter how many of them there are, each and every one of them is the narrow path and they will not take you to the right destination. He explains and understand that in this surah, in surah Fatiha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then also explains the reality of this path. And He gives it three descriptions. He gives it three descriptions. What is the straight path? He teaches us, we say, اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ Oh Allah, guide us on the straight path. And then he gives three descriptions of what is the straight path. One explaining it by defining it what it is. What does it encompass? And two to explain what does it exclude. The, 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 uh, the fuqaha mentioned a good definition. It's a definition that is mani' and, and jami'. It is a definition that precludes, or I should say excludes, everything that does not belong within it, and it includes everything that does belong within it. A good definition, it includes whatever belongs within, and excludes anything that does not belong. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first explains all that it includes. And He says, Sirat al-ladheena an'amta alayhim. The path of those who your favor is upon. And elsewhere in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He then explains in Surah Nisa, who are those people that Allah's bounty is upon them? Who are these people that an'amta alayh? Right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, you've shown your favor upon, who are they? One of the principles of tafsir is one ayah will help explain another ayah. So in Surah Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He explains who are these people that Allah's favor is upon. And He gives four categories of people. The prophets, the Siddiqs, the Shaheeds, and the people that are Salih. The Prophets, the Messengers, the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent with revelation. They're the obvious first category. No brainer there, right? Then the Siddiqs. Who are the Siddiqs? I, the Siddiqs, I'll explain Shuhada first and I'll come back to Siddiq. Because one of the definitions I heard for Siddiq, it helps if understanding the definition of Shaheed. The Shaheed is the martyr. The one that died for the sake of Allah. The one that died in a way that they gave their life for the sake of Allah. Right? And then they explain the Siddiq is the one that died, uh, sorry, the Shaheed is the one that died for the sake of Allah, and the Siddiq is the one that lived for the sake of Allah. Meaning they go through life, living the life, the, the, the death of a hundred Shaheeds. Right? Meaning they go through life and they're unwavering in the path of righteousness. The definition that's given formally is that person whose te testimony of faith that they said, La ilaha illallah, once they've proclaimed the shahada, that they are a Muslim, their testification and their action, there's no discrepancy whatsoever within it. They are truthful in what they say, and their actions testify to the tr truthfulness of their words. Meaning their words and actions, they're both in complete correlation. The total opposite of a hypocrite. And when they claimed Islam and belief, that is exactly who they are. This is the highest category of the righteous people. So we mentioned the Siddiqs and the Shaheeds, right, in reverse order. And the last category, the Salihin, the righteous. The people that are just righteous people, the, the do-gooders. The people who do good. Going back to the ayah we mentioned earlier, those that do good, those who do righteous deeds and they believe, right? The verse we mentioned, Allah guarantees them a good life and the, best of re uh, the reward for the best of their deeds in the hereafter. 
So he explains this Allah defines who, how, how do we know what is the straight path? The path of these people, follow it. And then he explains two categories of people, stay away from it. Number one, those people that Allah's anger is upon him. Al-Maghduba alayhim. Those people that Allah is angry with. Why? Because they knowingly chose to go on a path that is not the right path. Allah's wrath is upon them in this very life because even though that they know better, even though they can recognize something superior, for whatever reason, either their arrogance or their jealousy or whatever it can be, they refuse to accept the path of guidance and they intentionally choose the path of deviation. Last week we were speaking about people that for example maybe know but refuse to practice. Why? Because maybe there's some benefit, there's some ulterior motive, there's some money to be made, there's some influence to be gained, whatever it may be. But people who intentionally deviate from the path, they're the people that Allah's wrath is upon them. And then the third category, وَلَبْضَالِينَ those that have deviated out of ignorance. Those that don't know better. But out of their ignorance, they've gone down the wrong path. Brothers and sisters, Allah teaches us, ask Allah that He save us from the path of those that Allah's wrath is upon them because they willingly, volitionally go against the path of Allah and also the path that of those people that out of their foolishness, out of their ignorance, out of their failing to seek the guidance, They've gone down the wrong path. Both of them we've been told, stay away from. Ask Allah, oh Allah, don't let us go down those same paths. Because both of them are just as dangerous. Let me ask you this question. If someone intentionally jumps off a cliff, they want to go cliff diving, and they fall and they break their leg, are they to be blamed? Absolutely. They're to be blamed even more. Why? Because they intentionally jumped off. But if someone fell off a cliff, they didn't intentionally fall off. It was dark. They couldn't see. But they fell off a cliff. Did they still break their leg? Yeah, they still broke their leg. In both cases, the end result is disastrous. In both cases, the end result is something we need to avoid. Basically, don't be walking near a cliff in the middle of the dark. Right? The, the only way is walk in light. Walk in guidance. So he explains this is what Siratul Mustaqim is. And then he explains what is the reality of Islam? The reality of Islam is ultimately two things. It is ultimately two things. Number one, to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And two, to trust in His obedience. Not only submit, but in submitting we also trust in what we submit in. Now we submit and we're always second-guessing. We're always wishy-washy, one foot in, one foot out. Why? Because that, that state of not trusting the obedience of Allah, that state is what will eventually cause a person to fall off. So the reality is when a person not only submits to Allah, they submit and they trust in Allah's command. This is the person that will be successful. And what does this mean? Those things that Allah has commanded us to do, we do. And we know and we trust in Allah that what He's told us to do, it is definitely good. It is definitely beneficial. It is definitely the path of salvation. And those things that He's forbade us from, those things He's told us to stay away from, we understand and we recognize in totality that that is something that is bad, it is something that is wicked, it is something that is evil, it is something that is destructive and harmful and will definitely lead to, to, to corruption down the line. To know, to do it, and to trust it. And this does not matter if it's an action of the body or a matter of belief in the mind. Internally and externally, we totally accept and we submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu explains and he warns the people. That he, looks, he says, understand that in the sirat muhtadarun. Know that this path of, of, of the straight path, the path of Allah, it is a path that, there, that, that, that becomes, there's people that come and try, that, that become present to try to get us to fall off the path. Shayateen, they come and they, try, and they come forward and they call the slaves of Allah and they say, Oh slave of Allah, this is the true path. The path of Allah, when a person is upon it, realize shaitan will come and tell people that no, 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 that's not the path, this is the true path. That's not the truth, this is the truth. Talking about people's beliefs. Why do people sometimes become prey to incorrect beliefs? 
is because ultimately someone gave them da'wah to something that they thought was an idea that was superior, that was the truth. But it wasn't the truth because it was something that goes against what Allah said. And Allah is the, is the, is the ultimate truth. Brothers and sisters, when we, look, when we look through human existence, there's many social norms that were acceptable in time that if we look back on now, we would cringe. We do cringe. But in once upon a time, there were completely acceptable norms in society. In many societies, it was completely the norm. Right? There was a time when there would be human sacrifice. There was a time when literally widows would be burned once their husband died. There was a time when a lot of like, grotesque stuff would happen. Daughter, women, baby girls would be buried alive. There was a time when a lot of horrendous things would happen and people were completely comfortable with it societally. Social norms change. Shaitan made those things appear good to people so much so that people thought they were something worthy of pursuing instead of the command of Allah. Every single corrupt belief, this is how it started. Shaitan convinced people, this is a pretty good idea. And eventually people were so convinced that they went completely against the, 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 what Allah commanded and went in a different direction altogether. Realize, we aren't in like some bubble where all of a sudden, all of a sudden shaitan took a vacation. How many people think shaitan's on vacation right now? No one believes that. Everyone you hear, they, they realize that, wow, wow, there's a lot of moral degradation taking place nowadays. Whoever you ask. So let's realize shaitan's not on vacation, shaitan's on overtime. So realize then, one of the things that shaitan focuses a lot of energy is corrupting the beliefs of people. Because it's a lot easier to corrupt the beliefs of people and get them to completely go astray than to work hard on trying to corrupt the actions of people and hope slowly but surely eventually they'll go astray. One takes right, people right to the destination, one takes longer. So shaitan is working overtime trying to corrupt the beliefs of people. Understand, any belief that is in society, any norm that has been embraced by society or pushed by society, any ideology that in any community in the world at any time that has become accept, accepted, has become the normative narrative. But it goes against anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has commanded or anything the Prophet came with. Know and realize, shaitan was the one that ultimately inspired it into the hearts of people. And no, ultimately, is one of these paths of divergence. This is what Ibn Rajah was saying. Realize, shaitan is constantly calling people to these other paths. Do not be deviated by them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the parable, sorry, the, the Messenger of Allah mentions in the parable that we mentioned, two things, two callers that are warning people from going off. One is the book of Allah, the Quran. The book of Allah, where does our belief come from? Brothers and sisters, our belief, this is not something that ulama sat around one day, they had like this council, and they're like, brother, what do you think we should believe? I don't know, what do you think we should believe? And then like after like, you know, four hours of deliberation, they're like, this is what the Muslims believe. There was no council. The Muslims believe what Allah revealed. The Quran is ultimately the source of what our beliefs are. Many people have heard of this book, Aqidat uh, al uh, uh, right? Al-Aqidat al the creed of Tahawi. And it's been summarized that this is the belief of what all the Muslims believe. What, why do people say that? It's because ultimately every single point that is in there, you can find ayat of the Qur'an or mutawatir hadith that explain it. Every single point in there. In fact, there are commentaries that are written showing people because the whole point of it was to be like a short book that people can like literally stick into your pocket and just memorize on the fly. It's a book that people would memorize. Right? It's to make it easy, but every single point, this ayat of the Qur'an or mutawatir hadith that shows, this is what Muslims believe in. Our belief comes from the Qur'an, like we said in the ayah that we've quoted. That the Messenger believes in what Allah revealed, and so too do the believers. Ultimately, it's the book of Allah that tells us what we believe. So when something is the belief of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that's where it came from. It came from the book of Allah. It came from what the source that is telling us, don't go down those paths. But first and foremost, for a person to know what is incorrect and what is correct, they first need to be familiar with, that, with, with, with what, a, what a Muslim is supposed to believe. Brothers and sisters, it's a very sad pity how many Muslims don't actually know, even know what Muslims believe. And what's even more shocking, let's realize, we live in America, which is a predominantly Christian society. It's shock, so just by absorption, right? We sit around Christians day and night, 
You, we absorb a lot of their beliefs without even realizing it. If we leave a void in our hearts, not knowing what we're supposed to believe, we default without realizing it on what other people tell us. You'd be surprised how many Muslims I've talked to and they're like, their belief is actually Christian belief. Not because they studied Christian beliefs, but because they never studied Islamic belief. So they defaulted to what they heard at school, what they heard at work, what they heard here and there, and they assumed a Muslim believes these things where it couldn't be further from the truth. What's sadder on top of that is, Muslims that never knew what Muslims believed in the first place, had all their gaps filled in with Christian beliefs, are now becoming atheists because they think those issues that there are in Christian belief apply to Islam when it couldn't be further from the truth. And they're going into atheism as a result of it. So first and foremost, Muslims should learn what do we believe in? So that shaitan can't tell us something that, 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 that doesn't make sense. And on this point, he explains that look, when it comes to knowing what is the deen, the Prophet ﷺ taught us what is the deen. He started off by saying, Bunya al-Islam wa ala khams. The Islam was built upon five things. The Islam was built upon five things. Number one, we know the five pillars of Islam. The shahada, salat, you know, shahada, prayer, fasting, uh, charity, hajj, right? These five things Islam was built upon. He didn't say it's all of Islam. He said it was built upon these things. What is the first thing? It is a testimony of faith. It is a testimony of what we believe in. It's the starting point. Salat doesn't mean pray how you want to pray. Like, you know what, I'm going to pray today by like, you know, just you know, uh, uh, lying down and just saying, God, thank you. No, pray meaning salat. We understand that. Just like prayer has rules, and fasting has rules, and charity has rules, belief has rules. So he says, Islam starts with these five things. And like that, Islam is perfected by adding in all those things along with it. Where the Prophet also mentioned, right? The, 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 uh, the, the, the most virtuous Islam is the one where the Muslims are saved from, uh, from a person's tongue and hands. Meaning a person adopts good character. And from the excellence of a person's faith, that a person leaves those things that they shouldn't be involved in. All these things teach people, all these ahadith, they demonstrate that all the things in our deen, what do they encompass? It encompasses a great deal. So people, step by step, learning those things. Brothers and sisters, it's not expected for it to happen overnight. But there's a starting point of it. That we should learn and implement and have a goal that I'm going to spend my life striving on this path. SubhanAllah, look at the ajib example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses. That He calls the deen a path. He didn't call it a destination. Because what's the difference between a destination and a path? A path is something that you travel upon. And a destination is something you settle upon. Meaning on this path of deen, there's always going to be growth. There's always room to grow. The key things, brothers and sisters, is we don't stop growing. MashaAllah, many people, they've made a habit these Saturdays that Sheikh Tamim has this lesson. They come every Saturday for an hour. That's an hour investment on a weekly basis to increase on my growth in deen. Brothers and sisters, you'd be amazed. Just this one hour, do it consistently. But do it consistently for on and on and on. Don't do it consistently that, you know what, I'm going to do it for like a year and then I'm going to take a vacation. Right? No, do it consistently with the intention, I'm going to continue with this. Just like we want to continue with anything else beneficial in life. That constant growth, you will be shocked how much happens after years and years and years of doing it. Brothers and sisters, it's not a lot. Start with half an hour, an hour a week. Alhamdulillah, you guys are already doing it. This class, this class in itself is an example of people that are doing it. Make intention to be steadfast with it. Because that steadfastness, because things will come. Shaitan will see, okay, this guy is getting a little too consistent, right? How do we derail him from that consistency? Shaitan's not going to stop. You got you to think ahead. Shaitan is already thinking ahead. How am I going to get so-and-so? Fulan keeps coming to this class. How do I get him to stop coming to this class? He's already on his game plan. If you aren't working on your game plan, how to stop, you know, to, 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 to counter Shaitan's plot, I guarantee you, it's just a matter of time. From right now, plan ahead. How do I gain that consistency? I need to have consistent growth in my deen. That I'm to every, single every single week, I'm doing something for my deeny growth. People that can do more, they can do more, alhamdulillah. People that can do less, okay, fine, at least have something. We have like that five-minute hadith that's after Isha. That's even something that's very great. But even Jumu'ah, I'm going to show up to Jumu'ah and listen to the entire lecture before the Jumu'ah. I'm not going to come like five minutes before Iqamah. 
and like, like catch the very last tail end and just like get my obligation in. No, I'm going to come with complete attention to try to grow and develop. This in itself is one of the greatest things that will help us stay away from falling into, these, into this deception of shaitan. With that, we'll inshallah finish off the rest of this parable. He explains that now that we've understood what is Sirat al-Mustaqim, most of this chapter he's explaining this what is Sirat al-Mustaqim. Now that we've understood what is this Sirat al-Mustaqim, what is this path, let's remind ourselves of the parable that the Prophet mentioned. That you have a path, on either side of the path you have walls. You have two walls. And dispersed throughout those walls are open doorways. And the only thing hanging upon those doorways is a veil. At the beginning of the path, there's a caller that's calling the people, O mankind, all of you, tread this path and do not diverge from it. And in the middle of that path, there is this caller, calling out to the people every single time they're tempted to, go, to just peek inside one of the gateways. That's an interesting thing. They just want to peek. They just, they just want to open the veil to look. That don't even look. Because if you look, you'll definitely fall into it. So coming back to that example, he explains, these walls are the hudud of Allah. They are the boundaries of Allah. They are the commands and prohibitions of Allah. Ultimately, everything that is permissible, it has its limits. And everything that is impermissible, it has its limits. Ibn Rajab explains, the boundaries of Allah are what tells us, how do you stay within these limits? He explains in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentions, in al-Halal Abayyin, this came in actually in the Arba'in uh, a few weeks back. It's one of the hadith that Shaykh Tamim covered in the Arba'in. In al-Halal Abayyin, wa in al-Haram Abayyin, wa baynahuma umurun mushtabihat. That he says, indeed, what is lawful, it is clear cut. And what is unlawful, it is clear cut. And between these two clear cut things, there is a gray area. This clear cut halal and clear cut haram, he's explaining that look, this is now where that hudud lies. This is where the boundaries lie. Right? In between those boundaries, there's that gray area. There's a little transition point, right? You know, like if you're your neighbor, like you know what's your property, you know what's his property. That fence line, though, it's like sometimes it's like crooked, sometimes it's not perfect. We can't really tell, right? Or for example, you have like countries, you know what's inside the country, like you know, Union City is in California, Union City is in America, and then you know like Mexico City is in Mexico. But then you have what's known as the, the borderland, right? The, where the border lies. It's like right in between. Those areas, there's always like these weird rules that apply to them. The border zones. Why? It's because you're just right on the fence. Just like that, the deen has that gray area. The Prophet says, whoever guards themselves from this gray area, they preserve their honor, they preserve their deen. They preserve their honor, they preserve their deen. Why? Because you know like in that gray area, you don't know. If you, if you operate in that gray area, you don't know. You might break a law. You don't know if you're violating the law of U.S. You don't know if you're violating the law of Mexico. It's better just to avoid it. Right? There's certain things, if you're, in, just, if you're in the gray, you don't know what side you're falling on. So the Prophet said, you'll save your honor, you'll save your deen. And he gives another example there. He said, every king has his boundaries. Right? Every king has his boundaries. And if a shepherd grazes his flock too close to the boundary of the king... It's, it's nigh, it's just a matter of time before eventually one of his sheep, some of his sheep is going to eventually cross the boundaries and end up on the king's land. It's just a matter of time. So just stay away from it altogether. And then he explains the boundaries of Allah are his prohibitions. These walls, what is the reality of a wall? A wall is something that keeps you in. It saves you from falling out. He explains that the boundaries of Islam, commanding us what to do and commanding us what not to do and everything that is in between. Commanding us what is the limit of permissibility. I remember one time someone complained to one of our teachers, Mufti Nawaz. He complained to him, Shaykh, like, why is there like, so much stuff that's haram? He found out about like, something in haram, I forgot what it was. It's like some food item. Right? They say the fastest way to a man's heart is their stomach. Right? You know, it works both ways. Like, you tell someone something is haram, it's like, ah! This hurts. So some, I remember it was some food item, right? The person found out, he said, why is so much stuff haram? So he says, you're looking at it completely wrong. 
He mentioned, you mentioned that you're looking at it completely wrong. It's not that Allah's made so many things haram. He's, Allah's made so many things halal. He's only told you to stay away from a handful. Look at how much Allah has made halal. Look at how much Allah has made halal. And there's only a handful of stuff that Allah says is haram. Right? And even in those things that Allah says is haram, there's harm in it for us. That's why it's haram. Right? So ultimately these things, you know, that, that, that Allah, it's a matter of perspective. There's a limit to what's permissible, stay within it. There's a limit to what starts the prohibition, stay away from it. Stay in that domain of what Allah has commanded and what Allah has prohibited and we'll stay on that path. It's like those walls that keep us inside the zone. But realize that these doorways in between that wall, those are the prohibitions. There's a veil that's keeping us away from that prohibitions. We know where the boundary lies. But the moment you peek, what does he say? The collar, the consciousness. The consciousness is telling us this. The moment you peek, it's now you're going to fall in. You fall into that gray zone, it's a matter of time before you fall in. Don't even peek. Allah's made it clear cut. Stay in what's clear cut. You don't want the risk of falling. But the moment you start peeking, that's when you start falling down those roads. This is the, the analogy and the example that they give. That that... How does a person manage to stay on this path and not deviate from it? And it starts off the re reminding ourselves once again that each of those gateways, there's a shaitan that's whispering to us, calling to us, come, come, come. Making a da'wah to what's behind the veils. It's our responsibility to see through it. And our responsibility is to stay on that right path, realizing that first and foremost, the most dangerous of those calls are those bid'at that, 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 that we are being called to, those innovations in the deen. Starting first and foremost with belief. People take belief really lightly. But the reality is, belief is what shapes how we view the entire world. It's our worldview. It's more dangerous for a person to believe wrong than it is for a person to do wrong. And that's why that's the thing that shaitan most readily calls to. It's for people to start doing things where their notions, their thoughts, their thoughts become to begin to become corrupt. So these are the things that he advises, you know, inshallah for the sake of time we'll, 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 we'll suffice on these. That how does a person manage to stay on this path? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to tread this path with, 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 with rigor and stay away from falling into any deviation. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khairi khalqi sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahabi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.